Well, hey everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week, I had a great time speaking with a French photographer living in Australia, Julien Parot. Julien and I have covered a wide variety of topics this week, focused around how his move to a new country refocused his approaches to making photographs. We also go into depth discussing the importance of being critical of your own work and seeking feedback from others to improve it. Before we dive in, I want to mention that this week's episode is brought to you by Nature Photographers Network. NPN is a great community of like-minded people that are super generous with their time in helping each other improve in photography. There is an incredibly helpful critique forum for multiple genres of nature photography, so there's something for everyone. I also just wrote an article over there on the impact of AI and photography, so you can check that out as well. For just $49 per year, you can join the community on NPN and gain access to the critique forums and a lot more, including way better articles than what I've written from amazing photographers from all over the world. You can join by heading over to npn.link forward slash fstop. You can also use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount. Okay, let's get this to this week's episode with Julien Parot. All right, Julien Parot, it is great to have you on the podcast, my friend. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Thanks for reaching out. And it's been fun engaging with you over on the Landscape Photographers Worldwide Discord channel. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you have a photo that's going to be in the next uh, Natural Landscape Photography Awards book, which is super exciting. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that, was actually, uh, that was actually one of Tim's favorites, actually. Yeah, no, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this photo, but uh, looking at the results, uh, it was a surprise to see it in the book. I'm very happy. <laughs> Firstly, I would just wanted to say thank you for all the work you're doing. It's great hearing this podcast every week. It's an awesome job, and I know how much how much it takes of your time. I have tried a bit to do this in a French language, but yeah, it's it's time consuming. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, thank you for saying that. It is a it's it's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, no, I appreciate that. Well, Julien, for people who aren't familiar with you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm 32 years old, uh, married, I have two dogs. One is there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I'm soon to be a father, so that might change a bit my life as a photographer. (laughs) We'll see. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm from the border between France and Switzerland originally lived there for quite a bit and now I'm living in Australia in a little area near the hinterland of the Gold Coast and the nature and I'm there since four years now and yeah and I found my place <laughs> it's very nice yeah and what do you do uh why as, as, as a job yeah I mean other yeah. than take awesome photos yeah no yeah yeah actually I'm not a I'm not a full-time photographer. I wish I would, but I'm just an hobbyist trying to to put my toes in in, in some markets around me. Uh, I work as an asset data analyst um, in the council where I'm taking most of my photos, so it's quite cool. And yeah, that's probably my main job, and I'm trying to go out as much as I can, as much as my wife let me go out too. <laughs> and 
Yeah, and enjoying, especially now I'm taking a lot of photo around the area I'm living in, uh, trying to be more local and local. Uh, especially got very inspired by your podcast with Jeff Freston about that and oh. started since I heard that. Yeah, I went more and more into my area. Um, and yeah, it's been, I started with mountains, but now I'm mostly shooting rainforest uh, photography. And yeah, spending all my time in the forest fighting leeches. Don't know if you have them in uh, in, we in in Western America, but no, they, that's a bad one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Was well, like a month ago, I got one straight into my eye, and didn't notice it. Two hours of, after, it blew up my eye, and I got a bloody eyes for like a week, a red eye. <laughs> nope. So, yeah, Hard no. pass. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah, you get used to them. <laughs> Okay, so you said you're an asset data analyst. What exactly is an asset data analyst and how did you even arrive at that line of work given your educational background, which you probably have to talk about now? Yeah, so it's a bit uh, confused what is an asset data analyst, but it's basically I'm taking care of the map of mapping the asset of the council. So everything which is like road, parks, barbecue in the parks, footpath, Things like that. I'm gonna map them, uh, and but map them from like from the computer. Or not, I'm not going too much on sites. More like from aerial imagery, and I'm gonna map them. But it's not like a map like you will use for hiking. It's more like a Google map. But you can click on every polygon. For example, a house will be a polygon. You can click on it, and it it will have some attributes saying it's a house, how old, the value uh, for a road, like is it in good condition, many def defects, something like that. Um, so it's, so it's like you're looking at a map and then you're identifying what those what things are on a map. Yeah, so I'm creating the map from scratch and I'm giving uh, data to every uh, object in this map. Um, it could be simple uh, as a tree, it could be the height of the tree, the species of the tree, or it could be just a border of the national park, things like that. But, um, okay. Yeah. So it's, I don't know if you know, it's asset data analysis, but it's mostly working with GIS, so Geographical Information System. Gotcha. Yeah, no, uh, that's definitely not what Google told me an asset data analyst is, so Google failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you can do uh, some data analysis of many different kind of assets in different ways. Could be Excel-based, I think it's really mapped-based. Uh, I came there by doing a bachelor in geology. Uh, my idea when I started the bachelor was to, to find a job where I could be outside most of the time. I kind of failed. <laughs> right, I was going to say, you're in front of a computer all the time. <laughs> yeah. No, the idea was there, the success was not. But uh, later on, I made a, a master in environmental sciences. Uh, working on like energy, uh, uh, heat pump and stuff like this. But it was way too much mathematics and physics for me. <laughs> so uh, I had during this time a, li a little course, like a crash course of GIS. And yeah, decided to go there, made a lot of internships, moved to Australia, started from scratch doing some Uber Eats and working in restaurants for a while because visa was not permitting way more. <laughs> And yeah, moving from to Australia from Europe without the, the right visa is not easy. <laughs> right. And yeah, lucky uh, at the moment I could find work. I managed to find a pretty good work straight away in a council, which is quite nice. And did you meet your wife there or did she come with you? 
during my bachelor, uh, if if I start a bit before then, uh, I was I always loved nature. When I was like five, six, I was saying my parents what I want to do for a job is uh, saving whales or things like that. Uh, <laughs> so I always liked nature, but was not f- fully in it. I was not hiking, camping, thing like that was not happening other than going skiing or a little walk once in a while. And when I started geology, uh, we had a field trip quite often just to map the terrain and understand the rocks directly on the field. And there I started to, to have a love for, for hiking, for, for walking off track in the mountains. We started, we had a day off once. Uh, two people who, who hiked quite a bit took me. It was a hell of a hike, like a thousand meter. Uh, after 200 meter, they were like, are you, are you going to make it? <laughs> uh, we missed every path. We ended up be arriving two hours in the night and everybody was worried, but it was a really great experience. I loved it. <laughs> And because of that, I decided to make, uh, to explore a bit more nature and I wanted to make a gap here. So between the bachelor and the master, I actually went uh, one year in Australia. It was solely to travel there. So I kind of got a van and traveled all around Australia. And about that three... That sounds awesome. Yeah, no, it was an amazing year. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. Uh, and... Yeah, so I wanted to, when I planned my, I planned my trip quite well, and um, I saw many good photos of national parks and things like that, and I said, ah, I need to, I need to record that for myself. And at the time, I had the choice to start with like, what we call bridge in French, it's like this compact camera, which have a one lens, we start from 24 and go straight to 300 millimeter. Right. Uh, like a cool pix it was. Uh, or I could have started with a Canon, a basic Canon with a 1855mm. And I thought, ah, better zoom, better range, I'm going to go with a, with a Coolpix. <laughs> but I do regret a bit now. <laughs> right. uh, a bit of limitation and setting and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I started to really dive into taking photos uh, of, of nature. For me, it's always been nature. When I picked up a camera, it was for wildlife or landscape, nothing else. Yeah. And yeah, um, so I traveled with this camera. After three or four months, I went to New Zealand for one month. And there I met my wife. Uh-huh. Uh, she was traveling too. Yeah, you see, it's tying up. <laughs> so she was traveling. After one day, I kind of said to her, I'm going back in Australia in one month. I have a van. Do you want to come in the van with me? <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, I was also traveling with a German who was still in Australia. So she said yes. Her parents were a bit worried that an 18 years girl uh, going to another country to travel two months with two men in a, in a van. <laughs> but yeah, so she we never she went back a couple of months before me. But after that, we we always been together since then. So yeah, nice. And, and I understand that she was actually uh, more into photography than you were to start. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, I was in, she had a better camera. She actually had the Canon that I could have got, like the, it was a 1100D with an 1855. And I remember very well the first day we did a, a little walk together. I, were, I took her and I was blown away that you, are, you can actually get a depth of field with an, a lens. <laughs> with, <laughs> right. with, the, with the camera I had, I could put my finger as close as I wanted. Everything was always in focus a bit, like with our, the phone in our days. Right, and, right, right, right. And I did, I remember I did some testing and yeah, she had a camera that she was actually planning at the time to make like 
a designing bachelor or something like this, and she had to build a portfolio. So she thought it would be a good idea to, to try a portfolio with photos from her travel. And yeah, actually, when we went back to Europe, I stole her camera, uh, bought a 70 to 300, and she never got it back. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's super yeah. funny. Well, I'm really curious uh, to hear you talk a little bit about how moving to a new country shaped your photography journey. Yeah, so uh, there's been a couple of steps. First, I moved for one year in Scotland, and it increased again my my love of nature. So uh, I went still way more in depth with uh, with landscape, and maybe a bit less with wildlife because. I found out that it was a bit less uh, than I managed to find, at least in Scotland at the time. Maybe less knowledge of the of the wild, local wildlife there. But the big change happened when I moved to Australia recently, because Scotland and Switzerland has, has pretty much the same uh, mountains, uh, big lake and things like that. Right. But Australia, yeah, it, it it's it was very actually. I didn't notice it at the time, but now when I'm look at, looking at the first year of photography here, it was pretty pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> because the thing is that Australia does have some mountain, uh, but these mountains are covered in forest. And right, I didn't right. change my mindset going from one country to the other country. I was still thinking I'm going to shoot what I know and what I like to shoot is mountain. So I was trying to hike every mountain, but you end up in the forest. There's a couple of lookouts, uh, but then you end up with the same photo as everybody has because there's one view. Uh, right. <laughs> you, you cannot, yeah, you cannot, it's not like going on top of a mountain in Switzerland. You look 360, you have a view everywhere, different peaks. You can zoom, zoom in, zoom out, wide angle, long, yeah, you, yeah. you have infinite <laughs> possibility. I suppose it's the same for you where you live. Right. Uh, but where, where I am now, yeah, it's very, few lookout and you can't even it's long lens or if you are wide lens then you have the the forest the hole in the, you have the top of the canopy which is in front of you not very pretty so you can only count on having a good sunset or good condition but yeah it's it's not the same and down the mountain there's they are not like particularly big enough to be always impressive from the bottom it's more like range of mountain, which are a bit flat and a bit like a, a ridge that you can right. walk on. But it's not like impressive peaks or things like that, especially where I'm living now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I did try to focus a bit on the coastal work at the start uh, because, yeah, that was I was thinking, like I'm going to Australia, maybe better beach, nicer photos. Um, but actually in Brisbane, where I'm living now, it's pretty hard because it's like huge strut of beach. Not much rock crop, not really, not many cliff, um, no sea stack. Uh, it's very harder to find interest, I suppose. Maybe you, if you dive into abstract photography, you end up, uh, or minimalist photography, you end up doing some, some stuff good. But I was not there yet, I think, when I arrived in Australia. So I was a bit disappointed of my photos of the coast. You will find one amazing place, but everybody already have a photo of this one one amazing place mm. so yeah so it was a bit frustrating the, f the first year uh, and wildlife uh, I kind of also did not much wildlife because it felt too easy <laughs> I don't know if it makes sense to you but what I loved actually in Europe when I was doing wildlife it was uh, 
but there's fewer lives, so you're excited when you see one. You you need to to spend hours trying to find one, and right. and here if you know the area, you go somewhere and you have 100 or 200 kangaroos uh, that you can approach at one or two meters from them. Right, so, almost like uh, penguins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it, it does. It's nice. You, you manage to make better photo actually because it's way easier to work with the light. You can go when the light is good because you know they'll be there. But right. you lose kind of a bit the thrill uh, of the chase that you will have uh, the same when you when you landscape for sunset and sunrise. Yeah. So, so man. So as you were talking about this transition, I was immediately st- struck by how my, how similar it was to my own journey when I moved from Colorado to the Pacific Northwest, which is mostly trees and rainforest with some mountains, but not nearly as many mountains as Colorado. Um, And I remember the same thing. Like I would, I'm like, oh, I got to find the spot with the view because that's what I'm used to, right? And then you get there and it's like, oh, it's the same photo everyone else already has. And it was kind of, I don't know, it was like underwhelming. Um, But I will say there was kind of a silver lining in that which was I was approaching photography in a way that I feel like people that have lived there their whole life probably never really thought to. So it's interesting how like you're a product of your environment, but you're also a product of what you bring to the table as well. So I'm curious to hear how that's that the marriage of those two things has worked for you in terms of mountains. And now you're transitioning into forests. Yeah. So uh, I, there's not like thousands of photographer which are very dedicated. I think in the area where I'm living, it's uh, so I, I didn't focus too much on what people were doing. Um, it, it's not even that my photos were similar, maybe to other that I've seen. It's just that it's a bit. You feel that you kind of didn't work the composition because you were obliged to do this composition. So right. even if the shoot will look good, some more the process is not was not really there. I, I don't know if it makes sense. It does. It's like oh, the, I've seen this image a hundred times, and oh, it's pretty obvious that there's these rocks right here that I need to use for my foreground. It's yeah. like there's not like a process of discovery. Yeah, and I, I found this process of discovering an area and walking the sand more and more appealing with time. Focusing, I, I suppose that still at the time when I was doing that, I was focusing on finding the location and didn't really walk the scene, but was hoping to have a great light. Right. <laughs> and and, uh, and that's, that's pretty working. It, it is, that's pretty working for most of the people who are doing full-time photography because you have, you have pretty a bit more time. And if you waste a couple of time on a location with bad lights, then you come back or you, you have another time. Um, yeah, I was struck when you, you had your talk a couple of days or weeks ago with Mark Adamus and he was saying he's never coming back to a location. And when you look at it, all of his photos, they're always great, uh, great uh, condition. So I was thinking, how does he do? But actually, I suppose that when you are as much hard, you can not look at the bad photo and only focus on the good one. And you don't care if you're going to go- have good condition or not. But uh, when you don't have time, it's becoming a bit battle to to go in an area and to think, oh, the condition is not not like I wanted. Well, I was gonna say it also helps if 
you're okay with just dropping in a different sky. <laughs> that that also, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just. I suppose saying, it's like a combination. I'm... It's a combination of both. I suppose more more you have opportunity, more you're gonna have good photos, and and more you are your edits are heavy, more you'll be able to 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 uh, fix this problem too. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you'll have way more subjects to, as well. I mean, that's yeah. obviously the case. But uh, no, it's <laughs> it's so funny. You're talking about people that are full time that have you know the luxury of returning to a place over and over again. There's this spot in Oregon that near Portland that everyone photographs, or at least they did when I lived there. It's called, it's this mountain called Tom, Dick and Harry. And it has this really awesome overlook of Mount hood and uh, Ryan Dyer and Alex Noriega both have an amazing photo of it. I think they were there at the same day at the same time, (laughs) but everyone chases that, that scene because it's, so incredible but like that light is so incredibly ephemeral and doesn't yeah. happen very often up there but anyway i remember hearing us i think i've been up there like five times but i remember hearing a story <laughs> about this photographer named andrew waddington who literally spent like a month camped at the parking lot at the trailhead and he would hike it every day and he was there for a month he tried to get the same photo for 30 days in a row and never got it <laughs> Yeah, because the light because the light didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's how many times you go, but you can go once and be lucky and, totally. and have the amazing light. So that's also one thing that I really like about transitioning to um, mountain to forest photography is that especially in the area where I'm, I am, because I have a lot of fog, so it's not about chasing the fog. It's almost they are gonna every be there. month. Yeah, every month I have a bit of fog, so. It's, you don't have this uh, disappointment about uh, about so, uh, about sky or, or light too much. I mean, quite right. often when I go and I expect fog, I end up with a bit of more rain than expected. But right, it's still, way less condition dependent. Yeah, especially for the effort that you put in when you go on top of a mountain, uh, some, or if you go with your hiking equipment and you have thirty kilo in your backpack and sleep on top of the on top of the mountain. Um, yeah, it can be very, very disappointing. And I can imagine a lot of people are, are maybe stopping or, or slowing down their photography journey because they just don't have luck and so don't end up with the photo they expect to have. That's what almost happened to me in 2017. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've climbed like 200 mountains in Colorado and people are probably wondering, like, why don't you have more amazing sunrise and sunset images from the tops of mountains? It's because they just didn't happen. <laughs> I was there. It just didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Plus, I can imagine for me, it was also something similar when I was in Switzerland uh, and something that I, I will change now that I, my photography evolved. I will probably not go every time on top of the mountain. At the, at the time it was, yeah, the best photo going to be on top of the mountain for sure. Yeah, but, really. Um, no, not always, I, I not always just, the case. No, often you don't even have a foreground or the foreground is yeah. just a bit of grass or a bit of rock. When you have yeah. an amazing lake or nice trees which are down the bottom of the mountain yeah. or in the middle of the hike. So yeah. I, I think it's a big mistake that I did. I was always like going on top sleeping on top and yeah yeah i too, man yeah i totally that totally resonates with me too yeah i I mean don't get me wrong i still i still live for that moment those moments because like you know like one out of a hundred times when it does happen yeah it's the most incredible experience you'll ever have in your entire life but it's so rare (laughs) 
<laughs> no, even even with that photography, just be working on top of a of a mountain. It's amazing. Uh, I was more thinking about composition wise. It's not often the easiest way, especially if you yeah. are a bit of beginner, have a wide stuck with a wide angle lens, and you end up yeah just taking a photo of the wide one landscape, which is not very appealing. But yeah, no. So I changed quite a bit this, but it's it was the traveling to Australia, so make me oblige me to change. But also COVID had a good impact for once. It was good. Uh, it's that I couldn't move away. I was living in Brisbane at the time, so city. Couldn't move too far during the, the few lockdowns that we had. And the only place where I could walk my dogs were local forest. And yeah, and good thing at the same time, it was like the start. Uh, there were more and more video like Adam Gibbs or people like that that could inspire you a bit and make you understand the, the value of doing a bit of forest photography. Yeah. I think that was also a big thing. YouTube uprising help, uh, help, is helping a lot of photographers at the moment, changing their view. Uh, if you don't have any example, you, it's very hard to change. But um, I started to walk and not even taking much photo because I was doing, doing my walks in daylight. But it was more about trying to appreciate and look at the trees in, in a way that seeing maybe there's a competition or which tree could be interesting. Um, so COVID for me had a good impact. And when COVID finished, I managed to go a bit far away to the rainforest. And yeah, since probably the first time I went to the rainforest, I went for the waterfall because we have a, a very famous national park here. It's called Lamington National Park. There's probably 500 waterfall in a, quite a small oh, wow. area. Yeah, yeah. There's some people who are doing like off track to find all the waterfall. It's amazing. But at the end, I, I stopped by the trees. Uh, the trees are amazing. We have like something. The one that actually uh, will be in the book, NLPA book, is uh, an, 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 sorry, is an Antarctic beech tree. And these trees are just amazing. They are just on the top of the ridge because they need a quite high uh, altitude. And they can be like three or 4,000 years old. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, and and when like a branch fall, they are like somewhere they are regrowing another shoot from the base, oh, so wow. <laughs> they're becoming quite interesting in shape and very different because you'll end up with different group of two, which is actually one tree. So they so, just they just multiply. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's actually I think I don't exactly know when they say it's three or four thousand years old. Which part it is? Maybe it's more the base, which is reshooting. Huh. Um, and they are That's like cool. moss. They are very mossy. Uh, everything you like when you do a bit of <laughs> rainforest uh, photography, just very hard because I suppose if you did a bit of uh, photography in rainforest, you probably know. But it's very dense. Uh, oh, it's, it's very so rare. Yeah, very rare to find a tree with nothing in front of it. Even if I you know. have an amazing tree, you always have a little bit of a of, of scrubs or a tree always, which is not pretty in front. Always yeah. something in the way. <laughs> yeah. And the other issue that we have compared to what I've seen from like uh, Vancouver Island or this kind of place is that our ground is, we have a lot of palm trees and things like that with our, our falling leaf and it's very brownish, but not in a nice way. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like you don't have a, a, a lush fern or things like that on the bottom. So it's, it's a bit harder to, to find the right spot. But I spend like in two years, I spend like pretty 30 visits to this national park. Uh, trying always to time it with the rain um, and yeah pretty like five six really good photos that I like from this area but it's it's what I like now it's trying to find the right tree going a bit off track 
And oh yeah, and what what I love about tree photography is you can move two or three feet and you have a completely different scene, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like already the the canopy is changing totally from the start because it, you you gain a 100 meters, so it's changing totally. Or the fog is sometimes really good in one place, but in the other place it's totally different. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 kind of the sh- same chase as a uh, as sunset or sunrise, just that you can if you have a good bad day of rain and fog, you can do it all day long. You don't have to you don't have to hope that you have you are at a good place at the right time f- for this sunrise or sunset, but you you can be pretty much walking all day long and trying to scoot for photography. Something that yeah. I like too. You can do way more than just focusing on sunrise and sunset. Yeah, that's what I love about forest photography too. That's why I focus so much on it in the fall. It's like, you know, I can be out all day making images and then if I get a good sunset or a good sunrise, that's great too, but it's not a requirement. Yeah, and especially when you start, I've seen your uh, fall uh, collection. It's amazing. <laughs> I wish oh, we would have a bit of color like this too. <laughs> yes, but, uh, I'm when, lucky for sure. Yeah, and I've I seen... It, even when you start to make a bit of abstract with the leaf or thing like that, you end up even expanding your possibilities and how many photographs you can do in a day. In a good day, you could have two or three portfolio shots easily uh, from very different subject. Yeah, that's, that's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you adapted to living abroad as a photographer? Yeah, um, not too bad. These first uh, two years were a bit hard but I didn't felt it at the time it's more looking back uh, but now I really found um, a great subject that I love trees like I said rainforest but we also have uh, a lot of trees in the um, in the field in the countryside there some more farmer com- it's not in Switzerland they cut most of the tree uh, but here you always have a nice tree in the middle of the field so same we are we also have often cloud inversion in the area so it's a very good subject with long lens, things like that. So I did find subjects that I'm really interested, which are very local. All of that is like less than an hour away. Or even when I go to my work, I can just spend an hour before to go to work and, and go to work afterwards. Um, also, now I'm living more in nature. We are I'm like one hour away from Brisbane in a little mountain, which is like surrounded of national parks. So nice. yeah, it's actually one national park, but with broken and little pieces, which is surrounding the mountain. So it's quite good because the mountain won't change too much because there's no room for growth. Um, and so, yeah, I found places that I can go not too far and managing my time quite well. So that's really great. Uh, another thing which is quite important for me, I, I start to really like shooting with people. I mean, with one person or two person. Uh, don't like big crowd, but it's very nice sometimes to go with somebody. And for once, uh, I'd say that social media and Instagram has been useful. Uh, managed to to get some good friends, especially one really good friend here. So that's oh, making adaptation to another place uh, much more easily, much more easy. And another thing now, I think because I'm living in such a good area, which have uh, uh, some great close subjects, which are not too much photographed because there's not so many coming here like i said if you go a bit far you'll have more impressive um i also probably found maybe a market for me uh, that i did i never i'm not like i said i'm not full-time but i i always thought of doing something of my photos because 
it's a bit of struggle of having so many good photos of I think good and they they're sitting either on my computer hard disk or maybe in, a, in something that I did, a little print that I did for me but yeah there's nothing better even even as an hobbyist to have your photo print and go to a wall in the wall of somebody so yeah it, feel, it feels good yeah I know it's it's amazing it's not it's not even about money it's more about yeah doing something with your photo right and yeah and it's a good thing uh and that's coming thanks to you after your Jeff Freestone podcast, I think. <laughs> uh, it's because I'm focusing so much on my area. I also maybe open myself to local markets, like people which know the landscape but are not photographers but like uh, this landscape. Right. So I think from what I, I was seeing in, in Switzerland, I was trying to also go away of my area and take photos. And yeah, people find it nice, but they don't relate to it. So it's a bit harder right. I think, to sell, in, at least in my point of view, in my point of view, in my experience. Here, it's I'm not selling massive amount of, of photo, but the few I did, it's more local and not tourist buying buying photos of things they know. Yeah, that totally resonates with my experience as well. So that makes total sense. Yeah, no. Yeah. Often you think, oh, I'm gonna go to Iceland. I'm gonna make amazing photo and an amazing portfolio. But for somebody who didn't go to Iceland, it's it may be a bit harder to appreciate. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I've sold like one Iceland photo ever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah so but... shift yeah, shifting gears a little yeah. bit. Um, you had mentioned to me in our exchange that uh, for a long time you never doubted the quality of your photography, <laughs> and that that was not a good thing. And I would love for you to explain what that's about. Yeah, that sounds a bit bad saying like that, but <laughs> uh, it's more that I, somebody which is quite entitled to his opinion and quite confident in himself, and it, it, it generally I don't really care what people think. So I do something that I like, I do it how I like, and the result, as long as it's fine for me, it, it's good to me. Right. And... And I don't think it, I don't think this approach is a total good thing, uh, especially listening to a lot of story of other photographer uh, on your podcast or other place. As a feeling that also a bit of law in your career is good to refocus on, on what you're doing and how you're doing and can help you in, in progress way better than if you're always stuck in doing one thing and think you're doing it right. Uh, you will end up by, yeah, by not progressing very much. So I, I think I lost I lost a lot of years, uh, not doing bad photos, but not improving. I'd say because of that. And yeah, it's yeah. I, I think uh, I improved way more since I in Australia in the last two or three years uh, than yeah than the eight years before. I was gonna say that was me from like. 2012 to 2016 that was i thought i knew everything i needed to know and i was amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is so ridiculous because i look back on you know probably 80 percent of those photos i'm like wow that wasn't actually that good <laughs> yeah and the good one is sometimes just a flock where you actually didn't take the, the photo you were expecting but it now when you think about it is actually maybe the best one <laughs> yeah, but, yeah exactly yeah and i think it's also 
It's also a bit touching what I said before. It's also coming from our days. Uh, you started a bit before me, I think, but it you didn't have much of YouTube. And, no. I, and I think YouTube is an amazing thing just to to teach you technical thing, but also to to show you what other good photographer or photographer that you you like how they are doing, what uh, kind of editing they are doing, and it's I think the generation of our days, the new newer generation, can improve way quickly and also learn to self critique themselves a bit way qu more quickly than we do because. You you had a couple of forums, but you you had to find a place where people were answering. <laughs> That's not always easy, and yeah. yeah, you didn't have this feedback. So if you are like me or maybe like you, uh, you are not really somebody in front of you being to tell able to tell you no. Maybe you you should rethink a tiny bit your your approach. Yeah, all we had was a uh, Facebook, where you'd get like everyone just loved you, or they yeah. shouted at you, or or we had 500px where it was just like V plus F, which I think meant like very fine or whatever. And then please follow. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Just silly. Plus uh, in 500px, the photo were quite good, but it's often quite heavily did it too. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, and I missed out on like the early days of NPN where there was actually a lot of discussion amongst nature photographers around yep. critique and learning and growing but i just i completely missed out on all that until much later so yeah i didn't speak english for a long time so it was also it's pretty reducing at the time it reduced a lot of our opportunities uh yeah french communities were smaller in photography that uh that in english where you have so yeah maybe you guys and, had um i guess what was that deviant art maybe back then i don't know yeah, I don't even know. No, I had a couple of, like, it was mostly wildlife and nature magazine, which had, oh, right, had yeah. a, they had a forum, so you were going on the forum, but it's always, again, like, if you need to engage quite a lot to get a bit of engagement back, so if you don't have the time, you know, and, and you don't always know also who is answering, if if he's any good, or right. if, you are, if you are, if you're a beginner, it's always hard, also, if you don't know the person to, to put value in, in the comments. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is hard. Yeah, yeah. So how how did your confidence in photography slow down your pro progression? Because that does feel a little counterintuitive. Yeah, so like I said before, uh, its confidence slowed down because I was not evolving, basically. And it makes sense to me if you, if you think you do the right thing, like we said before, you're not going to evolve. So it's it's... But saying that, it's quite important, I think, to be entitled to what you're doing. It's not totally wrong, like doing, being confident and, and thinking you are doing good thing when you are doing good thing and, and not changing the way you're doing things to please uh, algorithm or competitions or things like that. Um, I think it's a very good thing. You just need to find the right balance in sticking to what you want to do and how you do it, but tweaking the thing to make it the best possible and not staying where you are because you think it's good enough. So how, how, are, how are you evolving? Yeah, so I think the, it's, it took a long time and it also came, like I said, with the, uh, YouTube. I think it helped a lot. 
learning how the photography a photographer was shoot were shooting and also com maybe comparing a bit like seeing oh actually uh, I've seen shot from Thomas Eaton when he was in Switzerland where I was too and I could compare a bit kind of the same process because he was in the same area and yeah so you are like you can start to learn self critique self criticism and I think that's probably the most important skill that a, a photographer could have is to be able to look uh, at his photos and, and understand what could be improved the next time. Uh, it's not yeah. very easy to do. Uh, and often you rely on another person. Like my wife is very criticism of my work. <laughs> but she, I, I have to know that she has her way of seeing the thing. And it's not because she critiques a photo that she doesn't like that it's actually a bad photo. It's, I think it's more important to do it yourself because you understand you you do it you do you still do what you want to do but you can improve the way you're doing it and what you do i think there's a <clears throat> risk or danger in solely relying on things like youtube or instagram or whatever like where it's all algorithm driven because what you end up having is you end up having people who have millions and millions of followers or whatever just because they've figured out the system and it's not necessarily because they're like the best at what they do or yeah. they're, they're the most authoritative su source of information. So I think it's important to, you know, get your information from a lot of different sources yep. and, and then kind of see what the common threads are. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It was more, I'm not like, I'm not like looking at, I, Especially, no, I'm not looking at one person and trying to replicate or, or look at their process. Sure. But it's more that I think it teaches me a bit more the process of breaking down my photos and understanding my photos. And when I'm saying that, um, uh, it's it's a bit hard to self-critic your work too. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, like you, you, if I understood well, you you were, you wanted to ask me. Uh, saying that for you it was not so easy because you you have a connection to your photos. Oh yeah, like I'm attached to the images most of the time, and especially if there's something about it I really like, I it's much it's much easier for me to overlook flaws. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, when you asked me that, I, I tried to thought how how do I self critique my work? What how do, do I man why I, I'm thinking of starting to manage to do it, and and actually. When I'm saying self-critique, there's a couple of different things. So you can self-critique your, your technique, your composition, but there's also the feels that it can have and the, the edits you kind of did. And I think there's different way and different time for me where I can uh, self-critique that. Obviously, the technique and the composition, especially the technique, can be done very quickly when I'm in front of my computer. If I messed up my focus stacking, uh, I'll see it straight away. And, and yeah, that's pretty much over. Um, and <laughs> composition, sometimes uh, it takes a bit longer, but often if you, with experience, I think you start to understand why, what composition is good or not. And it can be, it, it shouldn't take you too long, I think, to, to think if it's, to see if it's a good photo in terms of composition wise. But C composition is a tricky one though, because what I've found, especially after going through NLPA judging a couple of times now is that. There's drastically different opinions on what makes a good composition. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. But here it's still focusing on you, more on you. If if it's a composition that you that you like, it's more. 
the end result is more to get a photo which is to your standard and at least for me and that you like and that you can like that you will like in a long term where uh not yeah no i I was gonna say i think if you can defend like if you can show your photo to somebody and you can defend the composition logically um like oh i i included or excluded this because of this um, at least that gives you something to measure. Whereas sometimes I feel like people are like, Oh, this is a good composition. It's like, okay, but why? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And you will always find people who might like this composition and people will think, Oh, it could have been different, but it's, yeah, you're right. Composition is a bit in between like technique. It's a bit, it could be also different if you use different thing, but let's say it's a bit more black and white. You right. manage to technically get your photos or right or not. Composition is a bit in between and feel and editing are a bit more personal or what the photo is bringing you as a feeling. Is it uh, yeah, procuring your emotion or not? Could be very personal, uh, could not touch anybody else. And editing, it's kind of also personal. I mean, you have like very different way to edit, but it's always your choice. And this one, I think for me, I need to, generally I do an edit and I am not very big on sharing on Instagram or things like that. I'm not really a big sharer. So the good thing is that generally if I share a photo, it's going to be months after I took it. Um, so I think it's really important for me to go back to what I did before and, and see if this photo is still speaking to me. Uh, right. Often I often I'll see that my, I did way too much edit or I have been too heavy on the saturation or, right, or you missed or, something completely. Yeah. Um, right. Or the feel is not there anymore because you went the rush, you took the photo, you edited it, you are super happy. But when you come back, maybe actually during these two months, you went back somewhere similar and did a better photo, way better. And you think, okay, this one was not so good. So yeah, taking the time, I think to reflect on your work is important. Um, and to not straight go from taking the photo, editing and publishing, uh, if it makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. I've, <laughs> I've published work way too soon for most of my career. So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> It's painful, man. So yeah, it's all about finding the balance between sticking for yourself and and still uh, still thinking that you're not the best. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, competition can be a, a good help to not change the way you you take photo, but just to realize that maybe you are in the right track, but they're still better, even if it's only looking. Uh, when you look at all the amazing photo uh, coming from NLPA. Uh, especially knowing that they've not been heavy edited, it's helping a lot to, because often you see a competition and you say, oh, they're amazing this photo, but how much have they done on it? Um, when you right. know that what's there is there, you can appreciate the photo and still see that maybe, yeah, you're, you're doing a great job. You're, you're going the right way, but there's still some improvement to be done. Yeah. And I think that is one, one thing we wanted to provide is like a sounding board for people, for their, for their photography, especially for people who have chosen not to edit their photos like drastically because yeah. before NLPA, at least here in America, there really wasn't a place where you could do that. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know either. All the competition I've been so far, uh, there, there is some good photo not edited in them, but there is some which are heavily edited next to and becoming hard to, to tell sometimes which one is which. And yeah, it's a bit less hard to appreciate uh, 
your what you're seeing and also your results are a bit less meaningful because if you don't edit maybe you're just thinking oh i'm just uh going next to somebody who edit way more and yeah if you boost the color hard fog or whatever yeah maybe it's a bit easier yeah and it's <clears throat> what i like about uh, nlpa competition is that plus the fact that you have a bit more feedback uh getting a feedback of, on where you've been with stage of the competition you've been it can help you a lot to to understand a bit more your portfolio what if it's only for you it doesn't matter too much but if you are if you want to to go a bit in this competition mode you can understand a bit what is working more or less maybe why uh, so it's a very good good feedback actually i was just writing about that later i was just thinking if you have a thought about key keyword uh, because i was thinking that pray one thing that uh, I would love is like, you know, your photos have been stage one or stage three and how it kind of scored, but it would be pretty amazing to have like, uh, just, you know, like pros and cons and have like a couple of keywords, like composition is in the oh. pros, but editing is the wrong or just, I, I don't know if it's been this, this curious oh among gosh. you yeah, like, or how, how hard it would be, but I, I actually was, thought about doing it myself, but I mean, you're literally going through thousands and thousands of images and yeah, yeah and then it's... and then when you, when you end up uh at the end it's making even a bit more subjective than just a, a keyword so the keyword is not making yeah, maybe I mean, much, is much sense at the end of right. the process that's no. the challenge yeah <laughs> but yeah but overall the, it's a i can understand how much it has to be hard to to deal with all what you're doing and it's a very great great thing and it's really helping i think it helped me and I think it can help a lot of people. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm super glad to hear that. So shifting gears again, I know that yeah. you recently have gotten into photographing fireflies. Yeah. Um, I'd love to for you to tell us more about that. Like, like what kind of fireflies, how do you find them, and yeah. why you've chosen to photograph them? Yeah. So I start with why I chose to photograph them, because it's pretty easy. You just damn amazing to see <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've ever seen fireflies or i have um not since i've been a photographer but i remember long 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 time ago i did a trip to like nebraska and there was a bunch of fireflies yeah yeah for me it's kind of in the same of having the best fog in front of a tree or having the amazing sunset rush uh, uh it's really i love nature and i love what nature can bring to me and how it can surprise me um so yeah it just when you for the one with not knowing exactly what fireflies are so they're not flies they are bugs and they have under the abdomen they have kind of a, an area which can lead on by bioluminescence don't explain don't ask me exactly how it works but <laughs> if some <laughs> biologists are, are listening i hope for the <laughs> for a bit of knowledge but uh yeah so and they fly in they fly around uh, at, at dusk, at after sunset, and yeah, you so you see when you walk in the forest, you see dots of light, like uh, and it's not like a dot. Uh, they don't uh, lit all the time. They are like stopping. It's in sequence, right. so you kind of see like dots of light everywhere, pinging everywhere in the forest. And so if you are lucky, there's a lot. Uh, if you are unlucky, there's a bit less. But yeah, it's a very amazing experience. So. Obviously, when I saw that, I thought need to take a, as a photographer. You think, right. yeah, I need to take a photo of it. How how do I take a photo of it? And yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're doing like 
not long exposures, but like a couple second exposure type situation. Yeah, it's a, it's and actually very it together. it's actually very different during the time you see them because so you'll see them like right at sunset till maybe half an hour, an hour afterwards, and right. the activity is gonna go up and down. So you have a bit less at the start, like twenty minutes after, you have way more, and it's slowing down till they they finish. And so they're actually leading to attract mate. So that's why we are doing it. Um, and so if they stopped, that means they found somebody? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> they got lucky. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So uh, like, come, come, want to come hang out in my, my van? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to close all my doors when I have my car next to it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so the thing is that one of the challenge so I did approach it a bit like I would do uh, Milky Way photography Um, and and probably I I went through way way more quickly but the same stage that when I was doing uh, Milky Way photography so the first time you're doing Milky Way you're shooting the Milky Way you don't really care about your foreground because you're so focused on the Milky Way and yeah, and later on, you, you're trying to understand a bit more how to include the Milky Way in a landscape photo. Right. That's exactly what I did with uh, Fireflies. The first time I was like trying to get the Firefly first, uh, don't, didn't care about it at all about the photo. And then the good thing is that it's rel- kind of reliable for good months where I live. And f- from five minutes from my house, I can have some. Oh, so... Wow. F- I can go out after work pretty much every day for a month and, and, and be lucky to do some photo of them. So it's not exactly like sunset or so where you, you hope it's going to be there. It's going to be there for a month. So that's, that's a good awesome. Thing. Yeah, no, it's really, really great. Good. I'm really lucky about that. Actually, the first time I saw him, I was just walking my dog and thought, what is that? <laughs> Didn't I forget about them. So I've seen, um, over the years, I've seen a lot of firefly photography and I'm curious... What are you trying to do to make your photography of fireflies stand out a little bit? Yeah, so it's exactly what I was saying with the Milky Way. It's, uh, I have the feeling a lot of photographers, they, they think the most firefly is going to be the better. I'd say it's often true, but they generally have a couple of trees uh, in the background, but it's never... They never, at least not often, put as much thought in the composition to the photo at the start than uh, the result that they will do during a daylight or sunset photo. Right. So I really think my photo through, so excluding a lot of subject because they're not a good photo. There might be a lot of fireflies there, but I'm really trying to get the place where I get, get photo fir- a good photo first. And s- afterwards, I hope that I'm going to have fireflies there. Makes so that's sense. really, yeah, no, it does. It's it's making it way more complicated because if you if you do that, I'm starting to have the same, um, I want the same kind of res- quality in the result that I will do with the daylight photos. And yeah, I don't know if you do, you, I think you're doing some night photography too. Uh, you know a bit the difficulty of, of getting a sharp, a, a not noisy photo at night. So uh, what I'm doing, actually, I'm, because they start right at sunset or like five minutes before, I'm doing my first photo uh, of the nature before, like just like pretty much yeah. when it's pretty much when it's getting to be dark because I still right. want to retain. Blue hour. Yeah, blue hour. Yeah, I want to retain the the feel of the dark, but I still want to be able to see 
to see right. the landscape. And then so, you take a, like what, like 30, 40, 200, 500 photos of the fireflies and then you like blend them all together? Yeah, so it's a bit depending of, because like the light is really changing a lot um, during this time when you are like sunset to an hour afterwards. You start from, if you take a photo, a long exposure, you'll have everything uh, overexposed. And at the end, you, you'll be uh, underexposed. So you need to walk a bit uh, through the night, uh, change a bit your setting. What I'm doing, generally, I'm going high in ISO because you want the firefly, which are not a strong light and not for very long. It needs to pop out quickly on your on your sensor. So you bring the ISO very high. And uh, I generally open to f2.8 uh, to have the most light I can. I don't really care uh, where I'm focusing because I'm focusing quite back, but like this, meaning that a firefly in the front will be a bit more bokeh and will be a bit more el elusive and just a very strong dot in the front. So it's quite, actually, it's actually quite good to, to be f2.8 and not be f f11. And then after it's working with your, uh, your exposure. So at the start, I'm doing more like five, three second exposure because it's to keep my photo dark enough just to see as much as possible the right. fireflies. And it's a bit harder to edit the first photo because you still see fireflies and landscape. So to extract, because I don't want to use the landscape because it's well as good quality than the photo I did like five minutes before. Um, so yep. I'm, so basically, uh, the first 10 minutes, you need a very good setting, good fireflies to have good photos. And then when it's starting to be a bit darker, you can even make like 15, 20 second exposure and you almost see only the, the blue, uh, the, sorry, the yellow dots of the fireflies that are very easy to extract. And yeah, so it depends, generally, uh, probably 10 minutes is enough. I'm not, like I'm saying, I'm not trying to, to have as many fireflies as I can on my photo. It's more hoping that they'll be at the right place and, and right. coming in front of your lens too. It's very nice. And right. it's, it's impossible to predict. Sometimes they are like just passing behind me, but never in front of my camera. You're like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do start to, not to talk to horses, uh, but I'm whispering to Firefly. <laughs> like, come over here, come over here. Uh, and the other difficulty is that you have to avoid to have sky, I think, in your photo too. Because sky will always be very bright and take a lot of attention away of the firefly and the rest of the photo. So there's a bit of contrast in, 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 the, in the composition. But yeah, it's kind of like this. I, I do work it out. And it's working well. It's pretty much some of my most uh, popular photo around here because people are quickly amazed by it but don't know. It's even harder for them to take a photo of it. Right. So... Yeah, and it's an amazing experience. If you can, as a photographer, try to, to retake photos of them. They, they are, I checked, they are a bit everywhere in the world. Uh, Japan is very popular. We have quite a bit in Australia and America. You have some. Um, and in mostly, I think, Florida area and south, southeast. Yeah, I'm not going to go to Florida for yeah. fireflies. Sorry. One day you'll be there. So just go out at night. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Well, so... About fireflies, I'm curious what threats exist to fireflies and how can you bring to light these threats through your images? Yeah, so threats, I think like every animal, they're, they're suffering from a loss of their habitats, human expanding. Um, I didn't say that before, but they are mostly living in moisture, uh, where there's moisture, so near lakes, river, and yeah, it's disappearing more and more around the world. So I think that's a big threat. And... Another big threat is uh, light pollution. 
because oh, okay. uh -huh. they, are, they need to be seen for mating. Like uh, oh, right, yeah. you before. So if you start to have, uh, if you put a street light where there used to be firefly, they'll slowly disappear from this area because they won't be able to mate. So that's, you know, it's a very big, big threat. Uh, where I'm living now, there's a couple of street lights in the whole mountain. So it's not an issue. Um, but I know that it's something I will probably advocate uh, if suddenly like council or government is trying to put a lot of street light there. I'd probably try to raise my voice to for fireflies here because I know they will dramatically go down in population. Yeah, uh, and then you'll always have someone who's like, really? You care more about fireflies than this apartment complex? Yeah, luckily people, there's a lot of people who advocate for nature where I live because it's kind of a setting, it's a good setting for that, like people are coming in for nature. So I'd hope, I'd hope that it will mostly work. But yeah, you right. always have a couple of, of, of voices which are, are not caring at all. Um, but yeah, it's a bit hard to make it go through photography. It's more probably when you talk about your photography, about people and making ma them aware of already the existence of Firefly in the area. And maybe, yeah, talking about this threat, especially at the moment, it's not too bad where I'm living, uh, but I can imagine that it will need to be to be, to be be talked about if they will be yeah. starting to have way more footpath and, and light. We don't have much crime here, so you, there's not a big need for, for street light, but... I can imagine if suddenly you have way more crime, people will want street light to be safe at night and anything like that. It's a bit, it's a bit hard to argue against safety for fireflies. I think it's going to be a balance, but hopefully a touch on wood is not going to come soon here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one thing that photographs can help with is like you can show people the photo and then you can pair that with like a speech, an impassioned speech about how amazing that experience is and how it's, improves your life and all of those things. I mean, it's really hard to argue against that. Yeah, yeah, but in a, in a way, I, I have, I'm a bit reluctant. I never put any f photo of Firefly on Instagram, uh, just on my website. And even it's pretty, like the, the photo would probably do the, the, the best, but, and, and I'm trying to, to really be not too much, to not talk too much about it because, yeah, I can imagine, like, we have a uh, glowworm as well in Australia. I you probably know about them. I see them in... Heard the of them, yeah. Yeah? Now you, do you have some in... No, we don't have... I mean, no? I, I've never... Like, not here. Okay, there's a photo in the first book of an LPA, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, they're basically kind of the same, just warm, and they're stick, stick on wall, and they don't fly. But it's very nice to see. I think uh, that photo was taken in New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, it's New Zealand, the cave in New Zealand they are very famous for. Uh, in Tambourine, where I'm living here, we have a, a big colony too, and it's cool. I managed to get glower and firefly and a waterfall in the same photo. Jeez. <laughs> so, yeah. You need a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, a bit. <laughs> but um, it's, it's always a bit the, the, like there's a glower colony, which is very famous, uh, not too far from me, and you have like uh, bursts of of tr Chinese tourists coming every day and, oh, and like hundreds of people. And I, I'm thinking like, I, I don't want to be a reason why the place that I love in, in the small mountain I'm living in are like over flooded by people. So I yeah. mostly try to shade locally uh, and not too much to, to not talk too much about it uh, in depth. I mean, a bit more today. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a tough, it's a tough balance. Yeah. And and I'm pretty no I don't ha I don't have a enough I don't have enough people following me 
I think, to, to pose a threat, but you never know. It's a bit a contradiction in, in how I'm, I'm doing it, you know. Yeah, I mean, what I'm finding is that there's people who have really big accounts who follow people like you and me that the only reason they follow us is so they can get ideas to copy us. And yep. then when they share it, that's when the shit hits the fan. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I actually sounds sounds exactly right. Yeah, yeah, you never. I know, mean, I, I know of, I know of one photographer that he follows me and my my buddy Kane for years now. He's followed us and like like clockwork. After we post a photo from somewhere, he'll post the exact same composition from the same place, and it's not like it's an easy place to find. Like he goes out mm. of his way to emulate what we've created. Which have you is... tried have you tried to make a photo tripper? <laughs> oh right. Yeah, no, I mean it's like that's an interesting uh, people don't know that story. But that what well, I mean, what was that Gavin Hardcastle? Like someone made a very similar composition of a very yeah. I mean I think the problem with that is like there's not a lot of compositions from that place. And I think what he he thought that they actually took his photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus yeah, replicating it which are two different things but no 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 it was just it was just a joke <laughs> I know, I know, I know. but yeah no it's exactly what i want to to avoid uh having but the good thing is australia is not as big in photographer than america so it's pretty well less risk um it's more a question to it's not about too many photographers it's more about tourists coming right. i'm a very touristic area so yeah yeah, yeah i know it's hard, man. It's a balance I mean, sharing what you what you. It's a balance. You're doing photo. You you want to share them, but you want it. In a way, you can like we said, you can aware people of the beauty which is there, and maybe it will save some beauty. But no, you can also destroy some quite easily. There's been so many bad examples of that. Yeah, it's such a conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Julian. Last question: Who do you recommend for the podcast? Yeah, <laughs> so actually I have three persons and they are like friends, so, um, but good photographer. Uh, first one is uh, Michael Sicconi. Uh, I hope I say his last name right, he's going to cry at me. <laughs> Michael, Michael Sicconi, I, said, I even said his first name in French. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael Sicconi, so uh, he's, when I'm, he's very young, 23 years old, and what I found amazing about him is that he shortcut eight years of my life in photos. Uh, he went, oh, wow. yeah, he, he's very mature in his heart, I think, for his age. Uh, went straight to abstract, uh, rainforest. Um, yeah, it's very amazing to see uh, how the maybe new generation, I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, how they can change the speed, I think, of evolving. It's pretty right. very with different. With all the resources people have available yeah. to them with YouTube and podcasts and it's yeah, an exactly, exciting yeah. time if you're a new photographer. Yeah, exactly. And he's he's using like a one of his uh, iachrome filter. Uh, he went very much in depth. So that's very not known and quite unique. Uh, he's doing a lot of photography with that. So it, for the one who don't know, it's like on a full spectrum camera. You put uh, this uh, filter and it will change uh, what should be green, what is doing photosynthesis in, in, in shade of grain, red. Uh, so that's quite interesting for the one who, who wants to do a bit of, of, of kind of photo like this. 
Yeah, and um, shout out to Michael. He actually became a Patreon supporter today. Oh, indeed. So that's exciting. Thank yeah, you, Michael. No. Yeah, he's, he's a big fan of you. He, I think in in two or three months, he, he listened to your last two years podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a very good guy. I'm the one we are, I'm doing most of my hike with, so very awesome. nice. Awesome. Um, second one is Anton uh, Garlin. I think he's also uh, I think I see him on the pot, as a Patreon supporter. Um, yeah, he's on he, the Discord channel. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, so he's I think where his story is interesting. So first, he's Ukrainian photographer. So at the moment, there's a bit of backstory. Yeah, about Ukraine. That. Yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I think it's not so easy for him at the moment. But um, he moved from Sydney to Brisbane. And like I mentioned, like Sydney has amazing coastline, cliff, everything you want. And he's mostly doing uh, beach photography. And right. I think it's very interesting to see how his photos evolve from cliff area to an area which, like I said, is more abstract and more sub- subdued uh, in terms of beauty. So that's pretty quite interesting. Yeah, he um, he submitted some really interesting images to NLPA year one that were mostly like coastal with really interesting rock formations and things like that. I, I really liked him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you know he's kind of obliged to reinvent a bit himself in an area where there's only a couple of boulders on the beach and and not much. So totally it's really different. Yeah, and it's really interesting because he's really doing an amazing job at finding composition where there's not much. That's cool. And the last one is uh, Sylvain Lepoutre. Uh, he's a French photographer um, I met a couple of years ago. And yeah, really, um, well, I think what's really interesting with him is like, he, he's one of the biggest uh, YouTubers for landscape photography in French. Ah. Uh, but the thing that is interesting is that it's not enough, at least in his opinion, to become a full-time uh, photographer, uh, landscape photographer in France. So he's doing a bit of workshop. Uh, he did some workshop in Yellowstone uh, or things like that. But I think it can be interesting to have an, a, a view on a different market than the American market for, for becoming professional. Is it possible? How, what are the limitations? Is there like a, a glass roof that you can hit and never never go through? Yeah. Right. How do the, how do the economy, economies pencil out? Yeah, or just a question maybe of is there any enough people doing landscape photography in the in the French market uh, to 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 live from that? Maybe it's just simple question as that. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I feel like I don't know a ton of French photographers, but the ones that I do know, it seems like they have more of an international audience. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, if I, I think it's very hard if you if you po- he's posting everything, he really focus in French or his workshop are for French people. Um, he's uh, posting everything on Instagram in French. His YouTube is in French, so um, it's kind of you are more niche, so you can grow maybe next to other people more quickly. But you'll hit um, a maximum number of people you can reach more quickly too. So is it right. enough? Yeah, I, I suppose it's the same for the German. And uh, I wonder how many people are living solely from their uh, native uh, speaking uh, market and are not like going uh, too much on the English one. Yeah, I see a lot of Europeans kind of like banding together to try to make it work. Yeah, and which, which kind of instance have you seen that? Uh, um. So, like, there is the um, 
I think it's this way photography workshops. It's um, it's a uh, this way. That sounds a bit English. Well, that yeah, they're from the Netherlands. Ah, okay, but, yeah. But they partner with people from like Sweden and okay, like, yeah. the UK and stuff like that. But yeah, so it's you know it's just interesting. I think you got to network and branch out and try to find a way to make it work. I think, but that's not really that much different than here either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, and, and like you, you have more audience, but you have way more people doing this, so it's also right. There's a more competition, to, more competition. Yeah, it's right. a balance every time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, cool, Julian. Actually, I had one question I forgot to pose you at the Firefly. Oh, there maybe you, you can we can do it now and and uh, shift it, uh, put it back at the, uh, at the right place. <laughs> um, so yeah, the question is, you so you you saw a bit the process of editing uh, Firefly's photography, and um, it's kind of in between a Milky Way and a and a Star Trail way right. of thinking. What do you think is the place of this kind of photography in a competition like in LPA? Because <laughs> that's really... An, I, I, I was thinking about submitting some of this photo next year or in the next year when I have a better uh, portfolio. But I'm, I'm mm -hmm. always wondering... How big, I don't really have the choice for me to, to go this way in editing to get a good photo. But mm -hmm. are, are we touching to the too much? Or are we... What are you for? I don't especially need a, a, an answer that will be binding for the competition. It's more about just what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, that's an interesting question because it is kind of like night photography in a way. Um, yeah. And so we have like special rules for night photography. Um, yeah, it's like no, no, you, you shouldn't take a photo of the foreground like a few hours before uh your milky way like yeah. no no blend yeah. from the hot blue hours but i'm doing that but it's kind of in a time frame of five six minutes so right it says if more than one image is taken they they must all be taken within moments of each other without the camera or tripod moving but that's kind of as far as in depth as we go in terms of blue hour blends so like as long as you don't you know I don't know. It's interesting. I, yeah, I don't, no, I, wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't personally see it any different than a star trail. Uh, did, star trail is totally fine. You, you're taking, because I only seen Milky Way with that star trail in your, in the book or in the result. So are you looking at star we trail? Have, in a, we've very gotten very few star trails. Okay. Um, so it's not, it's not excluded from the competition. No, we got a couple, I want to say three or four star trails from somebody who did them, but they were like super 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 over edited yep yeah yeah it's and so the case, like, yeah. it was yeah instant like oh this is not really meeting the intent of the competition but i'm trying to think if there's been other star trails i don't feel like there's been that many but uh, yeah our rules are our rules are pretty it's a hard it's a hard topic like night photography you you kind of need a bit of editing so you're, right. you're not falling into the same you cannot if you fall if you follow the same rules as a normal photos then you end up with crap photo uh, uh -huh. so, yeah so it's a bit difficult to find the balance i'm trying to find the best balance by keeping the the background dark enough to be feeling that it's dark or things like that but i was just wondering where you where you will sit at that but anyway you yeah, might you might have um... to rethink that for next year if i'm submitting a couple of one <laughs> Well, you'll just, yeah, you'll just have to, to challenge to, our rules. Yeah, I will. 
Because it is kind of falling within that, like, blending the perfect moments into one photo, too, kind of an idea. Because you're, yeah. you're, like, waiting to make sure the perfect timing of fireflies. And you're well, only I'm generally use... not... I'm using all the fireflies I have from the next 10 minutes, so I'm not choosing kind of... Um... No, I know, but, like, imagine if you were shooting waves on the ocean... And then you blended in the biggest waves into one photo. Yeah. And that's yeah. something we wanted to avoid. Yeah. No, I get that. And it's, so it's similar to that. But, but in a way, with me, I would get the same result with a 30 million exposure if it would be possible. You know, it, if, you would, if, if, you would, if you would take a 30 minute exposure with your wave, it would be all mushed out. But with the Firefly, you will get only the points where they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not the two moments. Yeah, I mean, you know what I, I I'm saying. <laughs> I do. It's, yeah, no, it's interesting. I'll have to I'll have to ask the other guys what they think. Yeah, it would be interesting to 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 hear about that. <laughs> I'm personally like the problem with having actual rules that make sense in a competition like this is that exception. you get all these like you get all these weird one-off situations that like don't really fit one of the rules. But then like if you allow it. Do you allow other variations of that? And then where do you draw yeah. the line? It becomes this like, it almost becomes like this indefensible position. So it's, it, it just becomes really hard to maintain. Oh yeah. Too many integrity. rules is hard. Not enough rule is hard. Like, it's very hard it's to find the right balance again. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might try and I'll see what it, what has a feedback. <laughs> no, I think what you should do is send an email and make us respond. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I might do that just to to see what uh, what's your view and make you think a bit, and maybe you'll be an, you'll have a new rule about fireflies soon. Maybe. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> Well, thank you to Julian for the great chat today about your journey in photography. I really look forward to seeing your work again soon in NLPA. I want to thank our latest Patreon supporters. Patreon is the platform that we use to keep the podcast afloat. Running a podcast like this takes a tremendous amount of my time and energy, and there's also significant financial costs to keep it going. So thank you to Bob Simmons, Todd Higgins, and Amy Brooks for stepping up to support the show on Patreon. Patreon is the ultimate way to support the show, so thank you so much. You know, your monthly contribution or annual contribution goes a really long way. At $5 a month, you gain access to a library of over 200 bonus episodes. And at $10 a month, you also get access to the episodes earlier than the public. For example, I'm releasing this episode much later than today, and you'll be able to listen to it about a month early if you support us on Patreon at the $10 a month level. You also get access to a private RSS feed that you can use on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Google Podcasts, things like that, and it'll automatically download all the bonus episodes and the early releases so you can enjoy them. If you can support me, it would be really, really appreciated. Just go to patreon.com forward slash fstop and listen, or look for a link in the show notes. Thank you so much. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in collaborating with us, and listening. 
See you next week. <laughs>